The Permian Basin is an abundant oil and gas producing area. Already one of the world's leading oil producing regions, the area in West Texas and Southeastern New Mexico could nearly double crude oil production by the year 2023. But who are the leaders behind this economic powerhouse? And what is their story? This is Permian Perspective. I'm your host, Krista Escamilla. Today's show is sponsored by Baker Hughes, who recently launched a new and reimagined Baker Hughes brand. As an energy technology company, they strive to make energy safer, cleaner, and more efficient for people and the planet. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode. I am just so thankful that you are spending this time with us here at Permian Perspective, and I hope that you're doing well. I do want to let everyone know that today's episode is a recording of a virtual roundtable that I was honored to recently host. And at the day of recording, oil was much less. But so I wanted to let you know what oil is trading at today. It's at 2777. West Texas is opening up. Restaurants are open at 25% capacity. Retail stores are open for curbside service here in the Permian. And there's a little buzz in West Texas. I have to say, people are going back to work. It is nice to see some of you are able to return to your office. The other thing that many are doing is putting in social distancing protocol and wearing masks. And so I just want to thank all of you for what a great job you're doing. I know we're all doing our best, and I just want to give you a virtual high five and say great job on doing your best through this pandemic. As we all say, we're all in this together, and I've never heard truer words and in truer fashion than what West Texas is showing right now during this challenging time. So with that said, I want to welcome you to this virtual roundtable. It was honored to host it for Ondaka, and thanks for listening. Have a great day. Welcome to part two of our virtual roundtable brought to you by Ondaka and sponsored by NVI. We're so glad that you could be with us here today discussing things that are happening in the oil and gas industry and hopefully sharing some tips that you can utilize in your business. I want to start off, gentlemen, by welcoming you back for part two. We have with us Jim Cluche and Jim is with NVI. We have Silver Vasquez with Quattro Strategic Solutions. We have John Joseph with Ondaka and Derek Clark with Pinnacle Contract Services. Gentlemen, thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having us, ma'am. Thank you very much. So today, as of recording time, oil is trading at 1968. I believe the rig count today is at 408, which is down 57 from last week, but more shockingly down 582 from last year. Gentlemen, I think what we all want to know is where do you think this is heading? And also, if you could share maybe two to three tips that you have done in your business sales-wise that could maybe help all of us since we are all in this together. Jim, take it away. We'd love to hear you first. Well, early this morning, I got the crystal ball out. I haven't had it out in a while. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I did dust off of it and got it set up. And it said, your guess is as good as mine. So (laughs) what it told me. So what I really believe is we have to look at a couple factors here. This is an election year. If you guys old enough to remember anything about the oil and gas industry, 
election years are always a down year, always without exception. 2016, we were getting beaten up by energy companies to lower our rates. Many of us are still operating on those same rates. Now, here in 2024, years later, with this pandemic that we're facing, like nothing we've ever seen, we've got Donald Trump in the White House, who is the friend of the energy business, but he's his own worst enemy. And, you know, Joe Biden's running against him. These are all very critical things. But at the end of the day, Donald Trump has worked with India. He's negotiated an opportunity for us to sell all of our excess oil to India. That's a windfall. That kills Saudi Arabia, the Far East, and Russia. But it stabilizes our market, and it forces world prices up because India is the fastest-growing civilized nation in the world. They are going to soon surpass China. And those are the things that I see are optimistic, that India will maybe in 15 years be a middle, lower middle class country where everyone has automobiles, everyone has motorbikes, everyone has electricity, modern plumbing, modern sewerage, all the things that only a portion of has now and they can rapidly build as fast as China built. So, you know, that will bring up global demand. We need global demand, global demand, not only for diesel and gasoline, we need global demand for chemicals, for plastics, for resins, polymers, all the things that oil is a key part of. Now, we also need to look at natural gas, LNG exports. We need a government that will support the building of LNG systems. So we have that now. Will we have that in the future? I mean, most of these are FERC approved already. So those are very good things. And I see light at the end of the tunnel. So <laughs> a uncertainty in it, but we've navigated these things before and we'll do it again. Very true. Thank uh, you. Thank you. Silver? Yeah, sure. I agree with a lot of what Jim said, especially when you look at how strong the oil and gas industry is just, you know, in terms of having a backbone and being resilient. You know, in times like this, we've constantly seen innovation be developed. We've seen processes being streamlined. It's kind of like everything's on the table at this point. And, and our elected officials, they have a tough job. It's not easy. I want to Take a second to applaud the Railroad Commission, especially Chairman Christian has done a great job of being a leader. You know, they're, they're answering the, the hard questions. Commissioner Craddock, the same thing. It's just, you know, looking at what our options are and what do we mean? Because, and what does it mean for the industry? Because at the end of the day, Texas is part of the U.S., but we're a global leader in the energy sector and folks are turning to us for answers. And so the silver lining on a downturn or an economic abrupt stop like this is it forces us to kind of take a breath and be innovative, right? Slow down. And so you, one thing I've always said is the best and brightest minds in this industry work for our companies. They work, you know, small companies like Derek's and, and mine or large companies like the Exxon's axes of the world. Everybody is looking at ways to, to get us out of this thing. And so I think we trust leadership to do what they want to do, but organically out of the industry, 
I think we will find some answers. And so one, the other part of your question was, you know, what do you do to kind of bolster cells and what do you do to kind of improve processes? Well, you know, a little bit of what I do is, is connecting folks. And while I don't do direct cells, you know, putting people in the same room. And I think like folks like John in Andaka, you know, that people before who were kind of too busy to pay attention now have a chance to kind of explore how these sorts of technologies can streamline, save money, cut costs, improve processes. You know, you look at ways to be innovative. And so the last piece of advice I'll give is, you know, at this moment, focus on what you're really good at. Right now is not the time to be, I do everything. I'm glad to help with everything and do what I can and go above and beyond to service my clients. But I try to focus on what I'm really good at. And that for me is bringing people together, sharing information, keeping folks educated so that so that we eliminate some of the panic that comes along with uncertainty. But I, I do believe that we've got good leadership, especially at the commission, especially with our trade organizations, and we will find a way out of this in, in a very positive manner. Great. Thank you so much, Silver. I appreciate those thoughts. Derek? Yeah, I was going to say, and just to kind of piggyback off of what Silver had said, you know, what I'm seeing a lot of is oil and gas. You know, we all got hit in the mouth at the same time. There's not anybody, I mean, the whole world, right? Everybody got hit. Right. It's, it's a tough market no matter what your business is. But oil and gas, I think what I've seen, it's always had a family kind of driven, you know, community base out here in the Permian. And I think now even more so, we're seeing that from a lot of people. I think it's interesting to see that the communities are all teaming up a little bit. And I think that's going to be the keep going forward as everybody seems to understand we all are in the same fight and we all need to help each other through this fight or none of us are going to make it out of the fight. And as far as, you know, your second part of that question, you know, how to increase some sales or anything like that, I wish there was a magic answer I had because I'd be doing a lot better, but I think Silver's right. I think networking is, is key. I spend a lot of time prospecting and looking up, but most of my sales calls for me, I'll, I'll create warm leads through my network. And I think that's what will help you ultimately be able to create new relationships. And I know Silver and I work together with another organization, the Permian Basin Association of Pipeliners. And that's a big part of what that organization is for. Not everything, but a big part of it is the networking side of it and being able to put people in the same room. And I found as long as I'm trying to help other people get business, somehow it comes back around to me and other people end up helping me get business. So if you're not working on your network, I think that's the first thing you need to be doing is building your network, reaching out on LinkedIn, and even more so building a personal brand for yourself on LinkedIn and, and building content that people want to have dialogue with and not just putting up a cheesy flyer on there like I've done a million times myself, but you know, trying to create engagement with people and actually you know, put something out there people want to respond back to. And you know, through that and more people looking at you, they'll look at your company and you'll organically create those sales for yourself. But again, I've got a lot to learn. That's just kind of what I've been seeing here the last couple of months. Yeah, great advice. So it really is about that communication with and keeping the communication going during these times when you can't have lunch together or, well, now you can today in Texas, but where before, I know, last couple months meeting like this and, and staying connected, sending that text, sending that constant contact email out to your customers and just and just check on them. You know, I think that's been, been key exactly. is just to check on people and see if there is anything that they need or that you can do. It doesn't always have to be about putting that sale right in front of them at, at that moment in that contact. It, it's just checking on them, seeing how they're doing. So personal relationships. Absolutely. John, what about you? What do you think? Where are we heading with this? 
Yeah, so I have, a, you know, I think a unique, somewhat unique perspective. Clearly, things are are not great now, and I think there's going to be some tough times for, for everyone. You know, we see something analogous happening up here in Silicon Valley that I, I, see, I see happening in, in the Permian and across the oil and gas industry, which is, you know, the smaller guys are more in trouble because they just don't have the resources. It's not so much the size of the company, but it's the quality of the thing that they're building. So you see a lot of startup founders who are terrified because their company no longer makes any sense. Like if you're doing restaurant reservations online and only going to restaurants, you're kind of in trouble. If you're doing food delivery, you might be doing pretty well. I think it's going to be pain in the short term. That said, I actually think we're somewhere in front of us is possibly one of the biggest opportunities, I think, of our lifetime. And I'll tell you something one of my advisors told me, and it was that you know, the lockdowns had just started. We were like three days in. And he told me that in the previous five days, they had seen more adoption of remote learning tools at the university level, more adoption of remote learning in Alberta at the university level than they had seen in the previous five years. Now, that makes tons of sense. Everyone can't go to, can't go to classes, you guys, or something. But what was interesting was not that it happened, but why it wasn't happening before. Because they had projects, they had tech, they had budgets. But it was tenured professors who were blocking those problems from going forward. So basically, the guys who said, yeah, that's great, not in my classroom, I do things my way. Which, from my perspective, is kind of like some of the people in other industries, like oil and gas. Right? People think that tech is great. We actually see this reaction as well. Tech is great, but I'd rather send another guy out there in the field because that's just the way we did things in my Suddenly, people's eyes are open, and as Sylvia said, people are listening. They have, you know, there's only so many, so many hours in the day, and there's only so many hours you can not talk to people. So I think there's this opportunity for new ideas and innovation, and hopefully the oil and gas family is open to, you know, getting some, you know, some second cousins in from Silicon Valley to join a family. Because really, there's a lot of people out here who just really want to help. I know there's a perception of arrogance, but... I think there's a really big opportunity in front of us to transform the industry, to make it better for everyone, and just really make everybody make more money. John, that's funny you mentioned that, because I don't really look at it as arrogance. I look at it as confidence, because and I want y'all to be confident in the technology, because I know I'm not. And so when I talk, you know, think about Silicon Valley and, and think about just the technology companies in general, I just think, thank you, because... I know my communication brain doesn't work that way. I, I can talk to people all day long, but I need the avenue to get there. And you all have those amazing avenues because of your intelligence and your experience. And so thank you for that. I really appreciate you mentioning that. So gentlemen, I know we're running out of time in this segment. It goes by fast, doesn't it? These virtual roundtables go by quick. But before we leave, I wanted to ask Silver, because I know all of us have workforces. I know we have team members that can look to us as employers and are, you know, asking questions. I wanted to know, what is the number one question you're getting asked at Workforce Solutions that you think could help everybody? Awesome. I know that the, the one thing that folks are asking for is for help now. And I will tell you, you know, I've got the pleasure of working with Workforce Solutions Alamo and, and helping them with some of their rural work in, in San Antonio. And, you know, the systems have been a little bit overwhelmed, but certainly there's been a lot of data coming in that's going to allow folks at the commission to help people that, that need help. And so the one thing that we've preached is patience, but out of this need, 
are so many networking opportunities with the Small Business Association, with Chambers of Commerce, with the governor's office where people can go online and find out more opportunities. Next week, there's a whole process on for small businesses on how to apply for loans, not just the federal loans that are coming in, but existing loans. How do I implement those? Opportunities for partnership. And so I think people are coming to us or coming to workforce a little scared, but there's a lot of answers out there. There's a lot of help. It's just when everybody's asking at the same time, it's tough to get that done. But you know, the governor's office is allocating more people to work in workforce right now. They're doing the best they can and trying to capitalize on areas where you've got critical mass. You know, it's tough now, but I think, you know, very slowly but surely we're, we're creeping out of it. And, and it, folks can be, you know, it's just a, a little patient and maintain the resilience. There's going to be a positive, there's going to be a, a positive outcome in the end. Gentlemen, how are the rest of you dealing with your teams and their questions and their concerns? Because as as a business owner or as a business leader, I'm sure they are coming to you with, you know, are we going to have a job two weeks from now? Or, you know, just different questions. Yeah. So for me, it's transparency. So I tell my team exactly where we are, exactly, you know, what the financial situation looks like. And so they know they can make decisions themselves. And they know that they be supportive of their choices, but we're in this together, you know, 100%. So we're pretty happy with that. The only thing the operation that we do, I think it's important, is everyone's got a different situation at home. You know, I got young kids, my team members have kids, or they're single, or they, you know, the group, like, it's all, it's all over the place. So being very flexible in terms of letting them take care of what they need to take care of at home. One of my guys, well, actually, my lead engineer, Eli, he, had, he got approached by a couple of hospitals. Actually, I remember a group he belongs to got approached by some hospitals who needed patients, and they could 3D print those. So the group was asking to print those. He turned to me and said, hey, can I have a couple of days off? I want to go help set up this project. And I said, you should definitely take, take all the time you to do that. And in fact, I then tapped my network here in Silicon Valley to get other people connected with Eli. And suddenly the production went from a couple of masks per day to a couple dozen per day. And some industry industrial players were now donating things at cost to the hospitals. So whatever it does, you can do to help your team get through this, whether it's giving them time to do other things or in terms of family. I think Yeah, I agree on that. Just to touch base on what John was saying. As far as ours, we did the same thing. We were very transparent. We sat down with our team and explained our concerns and their concerns. We had a good talk on everything. And oddly enough, I think it built a little more camaraderie between us. And they understood, you know, we were going to do everything we can to keep all the hours coming in and, and keep everybody making paychecks and take care of their families. And but no, I mean, just to you know, vaguely touch on that, I think transparency was key. And um, I think for our team, it, it kind of built a little bit more of, you know, some camaraderie within us because we're, we basically all decided we are going to ride this out. We are going to fight through it. And, you know, we've all had to make sacrifices in our own ways. And I'm just very fortunate that our team is looking at it that way. So on that side for us, it's kind of been an oddly, you know, positive light coming out of it. We'll come out stronger on the other end. Yeah, yes, ma'am. Absolutely. Yeah. Jim, you have any thoughts on that, what you're doing with your team? Yeah, I've got a lot of thoughts on it, and I won't go too long on them, but I sit here in a lonely chair sometimes at the top of the food chain with 500 people depending on their livelihood. So transparency, which I've heard a couple times prior to me, that's correct. You have to be transparent with your people. And whether they're an 18-year veteran or 18 weeks with the company or 18 days, they all are worried because when this pandemic first started, I mean, they, 
who knew what was going to happen. Nobody really knew what was going to happen. So I was continuously sending letters out, trying to see as many people as I possibly could. I had intention of flying around the country to each office that got knocked out. And so I've been transparent with everyone, worked with them best we can, we made sacrifices, and I got more compliments, 20 to 1, on the sacrifices that we made versus negative comments. And that was really heartfelt to me by the employee base of NBI. Fantastic. I didn't want to do any of those things, but we were forced to. Okay. I think that's the great part. Most people realize that. I mean, on the employee side, on the management side, whatever, I mean, everybody knows it's not ideal for anybody right now. So I think that definitely helps with, with the employees understanding the sacrifices that are unfortunately forced to be made. Crystal, do you have time for me to make up one, like a 30-second comment on something that I heard said? Sure. It's come involved in a couple of other industries. I'm involved in the healthcare drug rehabilitation industry as a investor. And I'm also involved in aviation. And I will tell you that the oil and gas industry is one of the rare industries that all pull together and help each other make it through. I can assure you the healthcare business, they're trying to find out when they can chop your head off and get your secrets and your client base and, and aviation. It's cutthroat as anything on earth. And I've been in years ago, I've been in business with Matusta Electric, the parent company in Panasonic. And that's as cutthroat a business as I've ever been involved in. So this oil and gas industry is really a compilation of really good people at the end of the day. Absolutely. And I think that's a great way to end this segment because it truly is the people and what I have noticed here in West Texas being here over 21 years is that I don't care who you are. You're always trying to help someone. Someone is always trying to help you. And if you call someone or you show up at their door and say, I need help, they're not going to turn you away. They're going to help you out. So gentlemen, thank you so much for sharing. I thought that was wonderful. Great conversation. We want to thank everyone who is watching at home or at your office for watching this Ondaka virtual roundtable sponsored by MBI. We are going to wrap things up for this segment, but we're going to carry the conversation on one more. So let's go part three. How's that sound, gentlemen? Part three? Okay, so we will do that. We're going to wrap this up. A special thank you to Jim Cluchet, to Silver Vasquez, John Joseph, and Derek Clark for being with us today and sharing their experience and sharing their knowledge with us. We hope that you'll join us for our next virtual roundtable where we will talk about what can be done on a national level and how we're all going to get through this roller coaster ride of the oil and gas industry together and the pandemic. As I've heard many people refer to it as the perfect storm or the double whammy. We are going to talk about that on our next virtual roundtable. Thanks so much for joining us and you make it a great day. I really enjoyed that. And thanks again, gentlemen. It was fun to hear everyone's different perspectives and how they're dealing with the pandemic. I've posted links in the show notes to part one and two of our virtual roundtable. If you would like to listen or if you want to watch us, you can go to those links and part three will be out in the next week or two. 
So it's time now to announce today's community MVP. And today's community MVP is an absolutely wonderful mental health source here in West Texas, Centers for Families and Children. And this caught my attention on social media recently. Centers is proud to provide two free sessions to healthcare workers and first responders who are fighting COVID-19. I am not surprised by their generosity. Centers does so many wonderful things here in our community. And we thank you, Centers. We thank you, healthcare workers. And we thank you, first responders, for all you do. You are the true heroes during this difficult time. So that concludes this episode of Permian Perspective. A special thank you to Baker Hughes for sponsoring our show. Baker Hughes, as you know, recently launched a new and reimagined Baker Hughes brand. And as an energy technology company, they are striving to make energy safer, cleaner, and more efficient for people and the planet. Okay, remember my life mottos as always, dream big, believe, and never give up. These words are so true, not only today, but tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. That's right. We are all in this together. So dream big, believe, and never give up. Thanks again for joining us for Permian Perspective, the story behind the oil and gas leaders in the Permian. You make it a great day. Hey everybody, Alex here with the events on deck. So due to current circumstances, of course, we are not able to have any in-person events. So I have nothing of that nature to update you guys on, but we have been hosting some virtual events. So OGGN is wanting to offer free webinars, live happy hours, etc. during this time. Since these events are not scheduled out as far in advance as in-person events, we would like to keep you guys updated via Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. So be sure to keep checking up on that and we'll keep you guys posted on anything we're offering. It has been free. We want to offer you guys value during this time that we're all at home. So please continue checking in and joining us for these virtual events. We are looking forward to seeing you guys whenever we're able to have in-person events and hope you're staying safe and sound. Tune in next week for another episode of Permian Perspective, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at www.oggn.com.